0: welcome to the 359th episode of the so video games podcast where we talk about any game at all including new stuff old stuff and anything in between if we are playing it we'll be talking about it today we are recording on october 22nd 2023 my name is brad galloway i am the editor of gamecritics.com and i'm also the captain of today's one man ship that's right My usual co-host, Carlos Rodella is away on assignment. So it'll be just me today, yours truly. So settle in for a nice cozy chat. We're going to go through a bunch of games, going to go through a bunch of tangents, I'm sure. And hopefully we'll all have a pretty good time. Uh, Let's see. Fair warning, I'm operating on just a couple of hours of sleep. This uh, past weekend was quite busy uh, in terms of real-life non-game stuff and family stuff and work stuff and all sorts of stuff. Too many stuff. And uh, I did not get a whole lot of sleep last night. So a little tidbit about me is I don't drink and I don't use any drugs. But I do feel like if I did, that's probably how I would feel uh, the way that I feel right now. Feeling a little loopy. Not sure that I'm all the way dialed in here. But we are going to do the best we can because the show must go on. Uh, So if I say something weird or if I mash up my words, please uh, have a little grace and just chuckle along with me. Okay. Okay. Let's do our best here. Let's get right into it. Uh, since this is a solo show, I will start it off with uh, our traditional opening segment. This is a section where I cover random bits and pieces relating to games or the games industry, either directly or adjacently. That's right. It is housekeeping. All right. First up, let's see here. Um, all right. So... It was recently brought to my attention from a good friend and fellow podcaster, John, from over at Gaming in the Wild, which we, we pimp all the time. I love John's show. It's a excellent uh, piece of listening, so please go over and listen to his if you don't already, although I'm sure you do, as you are a person of uh, refinement and taste. In any event, um, it turns out that our show, the one you're listening to now, has been basically review-bombed uh, everywhere that's listed. I think we're currently sitting at a one-star rating which is kind of a bummer because we put a lot of time and effort into this. We really dedicate ourselves towards making the best show possible. Uh, we try to do it regularly. I'm not sure that we've ever missed a week in the last uh, 359 episodes. Maybe maybe we missed like one week, maybe. Uh, but we're pretty regular. Uh, basically, it just boils down to Starfield. And basically... Just fuck Starfield forever. I'm so tired of that game. I know it's got its fans and if you like it, that's cool. But the the reason I'm cursing it right now is because we did a show about Starfield a couple episodes back. We got early code and Carlos and I both played through the game. He finished it multiple times. I did not play it that long. I think I played maybe six hours, seven hours or something like that ultimately. And we put out an episode that was split into two pieces. The first piece was us playing the game uh, before launch, like like on the very first day that we got it. and we got it about two weeks before uh, it was available at uh, retail. So we had you know early early code. Uh, so we talked about our first impressions and then we saved that portion. and then Carlos played, you know, he played it multiple times. I played a little bit more than I bounced because I didn't care for it. And then we came back and recorded our you know, quote unquote final thoughts. Um, I didn't have a whole lot more to add, but Carlos definitely talked about the end, you know, the end game and what he thought of the whole thing. And we published that as a two part podcast that was smushed together. So the first half of the show was what we thought on the very first day. The second half of the show was what we thought two weeks later. And people were annoyed uh, because Carlos ultimately gave that game a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, Personally, I think that was a little bit too high, but it is what it is. And people who were angry at that went back and kind of intentionally obfuscated what we did. Um, They took some clips out of context from the first half of the show and tried to make it seem like we, quote unquote, reviewed the game after only playing for a couple of hours, which we didn't do. It says that in the show notes, we were very clear about what that show was about. And clearly no one listened to the show because you would have found out pretty quickly that's not what we did. But people were really salty that the game got a low score. And so they tried to make us look like we were villains, which it just it was just completely false. Nothing, nothing was true about it whatsoever. So after that happened, um, we got tons of hate uh, via Twitter, uh, via email, via comments that were left at GameCritics.com, where the show is hosted. Uh, and lots of people, you know, it was usual really unsavory comments, um, but it was pretty clear that nobody bothered to listen to the show. Everybody was throwing it in our face that we dared to review the game after four hours, which we totally didn't do. Uh, so anyway, the other knock on effect of that is that we got review bombed and I don't check the review uh, scores or the ratings for the show very often. But once Sean brought it to my attention, I checked him out and it was kind of a bummer um, that we had a lot of like one stars and stuff. So uh, anyway, I say this uh, because if you like the show, if you listen to the show, if you're here listening to my voice right now and you have a moment, it would be great to just uh, have someone leave a review uh, wherever you listen to it. I'm not making a specific request as far as platform goes, but if you got a minute, just like, you know, maybe go to a show, give us a rating. I'm not asking for a five star rating because I find it personally irritating whenever people ask for five stars or nothing. I mean, give us what you think the show deserves. But uh, hopefully it will be more than a one. And uh, I mean, I guess if you think it's a one, then go ahead and leave a one, I suppose. But I would just like to get more honest reviews up about the show because it just sucks that once people review bomb you, unless there's a very, very special circumstance, no one will do anything about it. Like you can't really complain about it. You can't have ratings removed. Um, it's, people just don't care. So I guess if this happens to you, it happens and tough luck. So, life isn't over. The show's going to go on. Um, you know, we are basically a volunteer operation, so it's not going to like impact our income or anything like that. It was just kind of personally disappointing. Uh, but again, I guess not surprising since I've been on the internet for a long time. I've been in games reviews for a long time, so I know how this goes and I guess I should have predicted this. But whatever. Anyway, long story short, if you like the show or if you're listening now and if you don't mind if you got 30 seconds, Please leave us an honest review, and that would be very, very much appreciated, just to kind of balance out all the bullshit review bombs we got. So there you go. Thank you very much for that. Um, not a whole lot of other news this week. I was scanning the uh, inbox, and there's a lot of games, tons of games, but not a lot of news right now. Um, so I guess the thing that I'd like to talk about now is to kind of put a question out to you, the listeners. Uh, is there anything that you absolutely definitely want us to cover on the show before we get to year end uh, it's already almost the end of October which means only about two months left in the year before we have to really kick out our annual game of the year or top 10 games of the year show which I always look forward to it's always a very exciting time um, but there's just been so many games this year I'm looking at uh, this week's script I had to actually boot two games from the agenda today because I just didn't have time Uh, I will get to those later on in a future show they won't be gone forever but that's just kind of been the story for a while now Um, ever since uh, I think last month when everybody decides that Q4 is the time to release every single game on earth uh, not a great idea folks not a great idea for exactly this reason we just don't have enough time Um, even if I had like 10 more people working for me at Game Critics we still couldn't cover all the games so I ranted about this a couple episodes back if you want to go back and catch that uh, that rant I believe it's in one of the uh, housekeeping sections where I talk about why it's such a bad idea to release all the games in the world in Q4 but no one listens to me or at least they haven't yet and that's exactly what we're we're looking at right now. So uh, this is my long-winded way of saying if there's any particular game whether it's an indie whether it's uh, AAA, whether it's anything, I mean, let us know if there's something that you're just, you really, really want to get my take on, or maybe you want Carlos's take, or maybe you want us to, like, double up and give you uh, two opinions on something. I'm looking at what's left for the rest of the year, and it's just jam-packed, so if you have something that you'd like to cast a vote for, or anything that you've been dying to hear Uh, Maybe there was something from a couple months back that we never got to. Or maybe there's some indie that we haven't heard of or something like that. Anything. Let us know what you want. I can't make any promises, but we will do our best. We want to keep our listeners happy. And that's how we find a lot of the good games as well. Like, often somebody will tell me about something that I haven't heard of or maybe that didn't catch my eye the first time around. And it ends up being a great experience. Or at least a great story, if not a great experience. So, if you know of something that you want us to cover, again, can't promise. But please drop us a line, whether that's on... Uh, the email, or if you want to hit us up on Twitter or Blue Sky or whatever, just let us know and we will do our best to accommodate. Um, speaking of which, uh, just a kind of a heads up I've been a Twitter user for I want to say 13 or 14 years. It's been my main social media, it's been my favorite social media. Met lots of friends, lots of connections. Lots of doors open for me, thanks to Twitter. Um, I met so many great people, had so many laughs and so many cool things. I mean, yeah, there's some shit about it. Yeah, there's some bad stuff about it, just like any form of social media or just like people in general. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but I have loved Twitter in general. I mean, the ability to talk directly to creators and important people that you might not might not otherwise have reach to contact. I mean, seeing new announcements little bits and bobs that come through your feed because friends recommend them or because someone else that you like thought something was cool. I mean, it's just, it's been an incredible, I mean, dare I say unparalleled, singular kind of cultural coming together. I think maybe so. I'm not sure that anything else has had the same reach and the same accessibility and the same breadth and depth that Twitter has had um, I mean, seeing people get fact-checked in real time is pretty incredible. Getting the up-to-date news and information from natural disasters or conflicts around the globe, it's been it has been just unparalleled. And yeah, I do, I do think I want to stand by this statement. I do think there has really been nothing like Twitter. Uh, and unfortunately, the reason I'm saying this is because Twitter is not really Twitter anymore. Ever since that ugh, despicable, slimy shitbag Elon Musk bought it, uh, whatever his motivations, I could talk about that for an hour, but whatever his motivations, it's basically dying right now. And it's been dying for a while, a really slow, agonizing death. Um, news isn't reliable anymore. There's more bots than ever. Uh, hate is on the rise, anti Semitism, uh, transphobia, uh, you know, sexism of all kinds, all, all the phobias, all the isms, everything is just getting worse. And um, it's just really sad. I mean, and, and on top of that, it's not even reliable anymore. Um, I'm finding lots of ads and lots of tweets from people and agencies and companies that I don't follow and that I have blocked showing up in my feed. I'll click on a link uh, to read somebody's thread. And in the middle of the thread is like advertisements and stuff from other people that I don't don't want to see. It doesn't work as as it should work anymore. And even worse than that, uh, lots of my tweets uh, have been like invisible I've heard this happening to other people. I don't know what the common thread is. But for example, uh, a couple days ago, I was trying to spread word about a game and I was trying to post the trailer on Twitter to get people to look at the trailer and it vanished. And I, I I talked to the PR person who I knew really well on Twitter as well. And I'm like, hey, did you see this tweet? And they're like, no, I didn't see anything. And I went back and checked and it looked like it had ran, looked like it was like I could see it, but they couldn't see it. And I asked a couple of other people, they couldn't see it either. So... Uh, I was talking to people yesterday, and they were saying some of their tweets couldn't be seen either, and we just don't know why. Like, there's no warning that I'm not banned. It wasn't anything, uh, you know, that I think would warrant any kind of a, um, a filtering out or anything like that. So I'm not sure what's going on, but basically, Twitter's not working uh, as it should, and that's just—it's really sad. It was just such a an amazing, wonderful, valued uh, way of interacting with other people, even even with all the bad stuff, even with all the terrible stuff, I still feel like it was net positive. So the reason I say this is because I am kind of trying to slowly disengage from Twitter. I just don't want to do business on it anymore. I don't want to support Elon Musk in any way. And I'm trying to kind of recreate those networks and those circles of friends in other places. It seems like so far Blue Sky has been pretty successful in being the alternative Although not entirely successful um it's still using uh, codes in order to let people in which i think is a bad idea and i'm just it's just it's hard you can't just like recreate 13 years of vibe in the short time that blue sky has been around so anyway the reason i say this is i'm trying to be on blue sky a little bit more trying to be on twitter a little bit less Uh, If you're not on Blue Sky, I would love to meet you there. If you follow me on Twitter, or if you don't follow me but would like to, or if you want to just meet up on socials or whatever, I'm encouraging people to go to Blue Sky. Um, Lots of my people from game circles have been there or are there. Um, I feel like so far out of everywhere that I've tried, this has the most engagement from the people that I want to stay in touch with. Not everybody, sadly, but it's getting there. So anyway my vote is so far on blue sky as the twitter alternative although it's a pretty far long way off and if you want to get on it please let me know i've got a bunch of codes i've got i think on hand maybe six or seven codes i could give out and i've got friends on twitter who have a bunch more i mean we could probably get together a bunch of codes if we need to so if you're not on blue sky yet and you want to be or uh, you just haven't had a code or whatever just let me know drop me a line Uh, I guess you can reach me on Twitter or you can get me on the email here that we'll give at the end of the show. And I'll be happy to share a code with you and welcome you aboard Blue Sky. Okay, uh, that is it for the housekeeping. Nothing else really to report right now. Uh, The only thing left for me to do is take a sip of coffee and uh, get on to the main portion of the show. All right, first up is a game called Deflector. Developed by Arrowfist Games and published, on the Switch at least, by Red Deer Publishing. And I really do like Red Deer a lot. I don't hear people mention them too often, but almost every game they put out, to me, is worth looking at. So uh, just a quick shout out to Red Deer. Uh, Go over to their, you know, their gamography, their website or whatever. Check them out. There's probably something there that might appeal to you if you are a regular listener of this show. Uh, Full disclosure, we were sent a code for this game by Red Deer, so thank you very much for that. This is a top-down, real-time action roguelike, or roguelite, I suppose, uh, where I don't even know what's going on, but it's pretty cool. Uh, The graphics are very, like, bright and full of neon colors, and they're kind of pulsing energy. It looks really sharp. I love the look of it. The setting is that it's some kind of experiment... I'm not 100% sure exactly what's going on, but basically you start off as a, as a person uh, or a thing, a shell maybe that looks like a, a humanoid in shape. You've got a little shield on your left arm and a big, 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 huge boomerang on your right arm. And uh, you're talking to a computer that kind of looks a little bit like GLaDOS from uh, Portal. They it talks about oh this is the experiment and we're kind of researching something something I'm a little hazy on on what that is but I definitely like where it's going I haven't I haven't unlocked a lot of the story yet I get the feeling we're gonna learn more as we go as we go further but basically that's good enough to start and what happens is you go into a uh, a top down level you are carried along by like a little water bear uh, like those little those little creatures that can survive like the void of space. I know there's like a, a fancy uh, scientific name for those guys, but uh, so you must be ta- small, right? Because water bears are tiny. And so what this suggests to me is that we're doing some kind of like research on like the microscopic scale or sub-microscopic maybe. Uh, anyway, so you go into these levels and there's like four different worlds. You can choose whichever one you wanna to go to. Once you get to the world, there's a map. You can choose the nodes. It's very like Slay the Spire. Very um, typical for the roguelike genre lately where you see the route ahead of you. You can see uh, what lies. Like sometimes you'll get a node that has enemies. Sometimes there will be an event. Sometimes there will be a shop. Sometimes there will be a surprise. Uh, you know, pretty typical if you've played a lot of the the roguelikes lately or roguelites anyway. Um, and that's fine. That's not a criticism at no, all. I think that structure works really well for this genre, so I'm glad that they stuck with something that worked. So you pick your uh, area, you go to it, and the hook of this game, as you might guess, since it's called Deflector, is you are deflecting. It's not exactly parrying, although it might as well be parrying, uh, but I will say, as everyone knows, I am kind of really allergic to parrying these days. I've had just my fill of it. I think a lot of uh, Souls-like games these days are just leaning too heavy on parrying, and not very many games get it right. Uh, I am happy to say that Deflector gets it right. Uh, I think that the the parry that you uh, use, it's used to reflect like usually enemy bullets um, as you're walking around these levels. Uh, you, you parry them and I think the parry window is great. You can parry quickly, so like if you miss one, you can probably bust out another one real quick again. Uh, when you parry something, it goes back to the enemy and it damages them if you're pointing the right direction, which I think is great. And that's kind of the whole hook of the game is that you have your main weapon, which is a boomerang, which does direct damage, but also you're going to spend a pretty fair amount of time reflecting bullets. I don't want to say it's a bullet hell because it's not, but there is definitely a bullet hell flavor going on, but I think it works. I think between the top down perspective, the neon colors, uh, the roguelike structure and the good parry window, like it's, a, it's a reliable parry. Like I'm a person. That's not great at parrying. And I can parry like basically every single time in this game, which I think is great. That's exactly what it should be. So I think it works really well. I think the action is really fast. I think the controls are tight. Um, the premise and the setup is really intriguing. I'm, I'm curious to know more about this subatomic universe that we're in here. And I think it just is a good time. If you're looking for something that's really action-y and really gets the blood pumping um, and has a lot of like high adrenaline factor, this is definitely it. Uh, The things that I would complain about, uh, number one, I'm playing it on the Switch. And for about a week and a half, I did not think this game worked. Uh, This game has a... I I struggled to even find the right adjective. the The load time on this game is so beyond what you would ever expect. I thought my Switch was broken. Either my Switch was broken or the game had just permanently locked up. Uh, it just, it started loading. It got to about three quarters of the way. And then it just hung forever. And I tried it and tried it. I couldn't get it to load. I I put it down, came back. It didn't load, didn't load. And so I put a call into PR and I'm like, what is going on with your game? Like, I can't get it to load. And they're like, well, we know it's a long load, but you should be able to get into the game. And I'm like, really? Okay. And so I went back and I just left it. And yeah, it did. I'm not sure what happened, but at some point something tripped and the game did eventually load I went back and timed it and I I timed the later loading it was I think four and a half minutes almost a full five minutes uh, which is just like it's just straight up unacceptable folks I mean you might think five minutes so well, that's not too bad well yeah it's it's an eternity if you're sitting there staring at the blank screen of your switch when you're playing like literally any other game on the switch and it loads up either instantly or in a matter of like five ten seconds so I thought this game didn't work and I was really concerned because I just was never going to be able to play this, but it did work. I really, really implore the development team to just go back. You've got to fix that initial load time. You have to. Um, I don't know what's going on under the hood of your game, but I guarantee it's not anything as complex as like Tears of the Kingdom or something like that. You've got to, you've got to get this in order because it's just un, it's just unbearable, unbearable. Once I got past that, though, everything was good, and I really liked the game, which is also good because that's a long time to sit through. Um, the other, so I guess, I guess, the the putting a button on that, if you can play it anywhere except Switch, maybe do that because I would suspect the load times are probably significantly lessened on something like the Xbox X or on PC or something like that. Also, um, another couple little little complaints, minor complaints. Uh, Playing it in handheld mode, the text is very small, it's way too small. I mean, I could read it, but it was like not really easy to read. And I wish that they would give you some text size options. Because I don't want to have to put something in docked mode and see it on my giant TV in order to read the text. Uh, So definitely the text was a problem. Also, no option to change controls, which was bonkers. Super bonkers. Uh, So this does control a bit like a twin stick shooter. Movement on the left stick and you're aiming on the right. You know, when you want to throw your direct damage boomerang. Um But I it uses the bumpers and not the triggers. And I found that to be pretty awkward on the switch in handheld mode. And I really wanted to use just the triggers instead. And also um, when I was using the Pro Controller when it was docked, that was better. But still, like you got to at least give us an option to... To change the buttons that's just that's just like a basic kind of have to have so definitely I hope they add that to the the menu in the future um, one other thing I forgot to mention was after you play for a while the the characters in the game give you some hints and you can unlock other types of characters Now you start with the boomerang character who is already pretty cool uh, but they give you a hint you follow the hint and then you can unlock the next person Or next, I don't know, operative or robot or shell, drone, whatever it is. Um, And he's got like a sword and he does a different kind of parry. He does like a 360 parry, which is pretty awesome. Gives you protection all the way around. But he can't throw his sword, so it means you have to get in closer and do like more direct damage in kind of a melee distance. Which is a good, interesting trade-off, right? So there's, I think, at least four other... Uh operatives that I can unlock. I haven't unlocked those yet, uh, but I've been having a good time with it. I'm looking forward to seeing what other types of characters there are. Uh, but overall, I really like Deflector a lot. I know that I'm like Mr. Anti-Pairing, but this pairing works really well. I think it makes sense for the game, it controls well. I think the visuals are on point, the aesthetic is really cool, the concept from what I gather so far is really cool. Uh, and I like the the roguelike structure of it. There is some permanence. Where you can unlock permanent upgrades by collecting resources. It doesn't feel like a total grind so far. Um, maybe that will change in the future. But so far I feel like the price points for unlocking things have been pretty reasonable. And I feel like I'm getting a pretty reasonable amount of stuff from each run. I'm also still like kind of feeling things out. And seeing the different levels and seeing the different enemies. And so I'm still learning a lot. I don't feel like I've hit a repetitious grind quite yet. Which is good. So... I think overall, Deflector is definitely a thumbs up. I'm enjoying this one a lot. And if you like roguelikes, especially if you like the action-flavored roguelikes as opposed to turn-based, I think this is definitely one to check out. My only word of advice um, would be to check it out on something other than Switch because that load time is just, it's too much to deal with. And also, I think you'd probably be better served on a larger screen and with a more comfortable controller. So, but other than that, Deflector, definitely thumbs up. I dig it. right up next on the agenda is max v kaiju i keep wanting to say max versus kaiju but it's max v kaiju coming to us from doble punch games this is one that i originally had intended to cover on the switch but i had had lots of problems with it technical problems it was really buggy and i had i couldn't get through the tutorial the tutorial wasn't working and I just struggled with it. I think some of the menus weren't working or something. And I I emailed PR and I'm like, look, I can't even get through this. And there's not really anything for me to even say other than it doesn't work. So they sent me a code for Xbox. And they said, give that one a shot, which I did. And I did. So this is a tower defense game, uh, kind of. It's rather than the traditional like looping paths or players surrounded on all sides by by incoming enemies this is one where you have uh, three mech suits or giant robots on the left side you have a bunch of kaiju flavored monsters like worms and spiders and bats and giant monsters coming in from the right and then between those things is the field of play with various hot spots on the field and on these hot spots uh, as in most tower defense games you can put down, you know, different emplacements, walls, uh, saw blades, Tesla coils to shoot electricity, uh, anti-air emplacements, all sorts of things like that. And in addition, there are also spots on the field for your mech suits to move. They start off each game all the way on the extreme left side of the screen. But if you feel like you need to reposition for whatever reason, maybe your gun doesn't reach or maybe you just need to give more focus fire somewhere you can engage your mech suits jetpack and then move them to a couple specific spots. It's not free movement. It's not like an action game or anything. It's definitely a tower defense game, but you can move them in a little bit closer to the front lines, which I think is pretty cool. So I guess before I get into the details, I, I want to say that I think overall, I like the concept of this game. I like where this game is going. And I feel like Mech V kaiju has tons of potential. I feel like this is actually... Almost a winner, and I, I I hope that they would go back to the drawing board and just tweak it a little bit or do like a, a sequel where they kind of take the same ideas and just iterate on them. A lot of potential. I really like where it's going, but in its current state, I just, I had a lot of problems with it. I mean, for starters, it wasn't as buggy as the Switch version, but there was definitely um, some issues there. Uh, some of the menus are in Spanish, even though I chose the English option, which isn't a huge deal. But it just kind of shows, like you know, how uh, that it needs some more polish. Basically, um, some of the the UI is a little bit confusing, and just just overall, it just needs like another coat of paint. Like it just could could use some touching up. Um, it feels kind of rough in all aspects. When you have your mechs kitted out and they're in the field and the enemies are coming in, I think that's pretty good. Like it's interesting to see them them themselves taking shots. The player controls the main mech, and then you have two backup mechs that are kind of functioning functioning independently, which is great. I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think setting up emplacements and stuff and watching enemies throw themselves against walls or get you know fall into pits or something is pretty cool, and I dig that. Uh, but the difficulty ramps up like really fast, and I found that in order to survive, I needed to go back and replay earlier levels and just straight up grind for cash. Which is not a great idea. Um, I prefer tower defense games where you can get through each level just by doing the level once. You know, maybe you get a specific weapon unlocked for the next level. Or you just naturally earn enough cash to to upgrade things to a decent degree. Um, you know, I, I don't mind having the option to go back and grind if you so choose to. But it feels mandatory in this game. Um, the the jump in difficulty from level to level, you know, in one level you'll be fighting, I don't know, a hundred worms, and then in the next level it feels like it's like a thousand, like literally, and it's just it you just get way overwhelmed, um, and you just have to go back and upgrade yourself, upgrade your partner max, uh, get better emplacements, upgrade those, and it's just like, it's a cool idea, and I th- I like the idea of having these robots holding back the tide against all these. This horde of incoming monsters. But grinding is one of my least favorite things to do in any game. And I definitely don't want to do it here. And I certainly don't want to do it like three levels in. I mean, if, if you're like at end game, the final final uh, battle, the final boss or something. Excuse me, a little frog in my front there. Um, You know, okay, maybe, maybe. I, I get you want to have like a big finisher. You want to make the player work for a little bit. I mean, I don't want to do that, but I, I would understand it. Um despite my distaste for it. But, like, I, I think I was, like, literally, like, level 3 or 4, and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go back and I got to play the first two levels again and again because I don't have enough cash and I need to get, like, better stuff. That's just not fun. It just kills the fun of the game. Um, I really wish they had not done it that way and had just figured out a different difficulty ramp or a different way of awarding um, their upgrades and stuff. And the upgrade tree is, like, enormous. But it doesn't feel... ...that it's really diverse. What it feels like is it's it's room to grind. I could be wrong because I didn't uh, get that far into it. But I did play it for a pretty good amount of time. And it just felt like... Okay, there's only a, th- there's a thousand options in the skill tree, but I'm going to have to grind through them all. It's not that I'm really specializing or getting better. I could be wrong, uh, but that was my basic impression. And coupled with the amount of grinding and how soon they wanted you to grind, I feel like was a big kind of tell... And it made me want to bail on it um, sooner rather than later. So I like the concept a lot. I think the the mechs versus kaijus, the left versus right with the field of battle in the middle, it definitely feels like an interesting spin on tower defense. And it's been a while since I've found a tower defense game on console that I felt like really did something new. Um, I'd have to probably go back to something like maybe like X-Morph or something to to remember, like the last one that really wowed me. Um, and you should check out X-Morph if you haven't already but at the point that mechs v kaiju was released it feels too rough it feels like the difficulty's off it feels like they prioritize grind rather than strategy or tactics and i just am not down with that so i feel like it's so close it's painful to me but it's it's just a no-go in its current state so at the moment i do have to give it a thumbs down but i feel like it could very easily be a thumbs up um, if they did some tweaks or just kind of Went back to the drawing board on it and just kind of refocused a little bit. So there you go. That was Mechs v. Kaiju coming from Doble Punch Games. Next is a game that is perfect for spooky season. It's not Halloween quite yet. And I didn't think I was going to play a lot of spooky games because I just don't in general. I'm, uh, I've am i really lost my tolerance for scares as, as I get older. We've talked about it on the show many times, but I tend to avoid... Um, anything that's like really intense or that has a lot of jump scares—I mean, I'll play something once in a while. Like I'll do like a Resident Evil or something, where there's action and you've got guns and stuff like that. But for most spooky games, I kind of nope out because I just—I just can't take any more, folks. Just full disclosure. But I did make an exception for this one. It's called Vlad Circus: Descend into Madness. This one is coming from developer Indie'sruption. And published by Blowfish Studios. I'm a fan of both of these houses. Seems like a great fit. Um, Disruption first came to my attention a couple years ago. With their earlier game called Nine Witches Family Disruption. That was a point and click adventure that uh, had some occult stuff. It was like occult versus Nazis. And you were like an investigator trying to pull the whole thing apart. Uh, great writing. Really funny. And it was a great structure to this point and click. It's it's actually one of the ones I hold up as a good example of modern point and click because the puzzles were all pretty quick and light, you could figure them out pretty logically. Uh the game had a really fast pace. There was limited uh limited locations, so you didn't really get stuck. If you kind of persisted a little bit, you would eventually find your way through. Had a lot of laughs. I just I really love Nine Witches. It's a great game if you haven't played it yet. Please go back and check it out. It's a good fit for Switch. It's probably a good fit anywhere, but Nine Witches is great. And I made a mental note to myself to absolutely check out whatever Indies Ruption did next. And this is it. So, Vlad Circus, Descend Into Madness. This is, again, a uh, 2D pixel-based point-and-click game. Different tone, different structure this time, though. Um, It's not funny, like, at all, whereas Nine Witches was pretty funny. Uh, Vlad Circus is pretty straightforward It's a story about a clown A washed up circus clown Who has just recently been released From an asylum Where he has been, I guess, rehabilitated Or cured And is ready to re-enter society He had a lot of trauma From a fire The circus that he was a part of had a giant fire Lots of people died Lots of people, you know uh, Did not make it out of the fire And it was very um, traumatic for them This, this clown A few other survivors made it, but most of the circus died, and he was kind of dealing with this with the help of a psychiatrist. He gets out and gets a letter from the person who owned the circus and says, hey, we're getting the circus back together. I want you to come back. I know you got out of the asylum, so let's get the gang back together. And our clown has kind of mixed feelings about this. He wants to be part of it again, but he's also still dealing with a lot of trauma and a lot of um, hallucinations and a lot of fear. Uh, it starts off really well, and I will say that the pixel art is awesome. Uh, I really love how expressive it is and then the flavor they They managed to get into uh, a small amount of screen, so it, it really works really well. I think the graphics are great. Wonderful pixel art It's very creepy, very surreal. Um, I think also so. So once you get to where you're going, you get to this house, the house of this, the, the circus owner, uh, the lights go out, you lose power, and then you, you meet back up with the other members of the circus. Uh, There's a strong man who is now in a wheelchair because he's very sick. There is a two-headed lady. There is the bearded lady who used to be his, uh, I guess, his sweetheart, but they kind of went their separate ways for whatever reason. Uh, There is a guy who only has an upper torso. There is an Indian fakir who is mutilated. Uh, There might be one or two other people. I can't remember. And the, the circus owner and the psychiatrist are all there. And so you're in this giant house owned by the circus person and circus owner, and you just talk to people, get their stories, figure out what's going on, and then you eventually hit some puzzles. Now, I will say, story's great. I love the writing. I think characterization is really strong, and I was really intrigued. Uh, I mean, circuses are kind of a weird um, enigmatic setting already, and so to see this kind of spooky haunted house with circus performers, and they're all kind of sad because of the fire that happened, and they're kind of Having this reunion that's really bittersweet, maybe more bitter than sweet. Uh, It was great. It's a great premise. I love the premise. I love the graphics. uh, And I love the tone of it all. And I will say that this game has a lot of writing and a journal that you look at, but this is one of the best journals I think I've ever seen, where whenever something happens, the clown pulls open his journal and he writes down his thoughts on it. You know, something very common in the mental health field. Like you're all often. Um, You know, told a journal and get your your thoughts and ideas down. And so he does. And so you're kind of reading along with him. It kind of crystallizes what's going on um, in a way that would work more effectively than just more dialogue on the screen. So you get some dialogue, you talk to people, you get the clown's internal thoughts. It paints a really good picture of what's going on. And I think that the journal is really clever. Um, It's not just like finding notes in a Resident Evil game. It's not just text after text after text. It only pops up at key moments. And it only pops up when there's something... Really important to say when he gives you some backstory on a relationship or if there's like a locked door that he needs to remember, he'll write that down or something. And you can also um, refresh your memory about other characters. If you forget who they are or what their name is or something, you can look it up. But an excellent journal. I think that's really, really uh, well done. Um, So I think that's good. And I feel like overall, like I was really in like I was like I was feeling the vibe and I like the setting and I like this developer Um, But I got to say, I got to be really honest. It kind of lost me about halfway. This is a short experience. I feel like if you're not great at puzzles, probably going to take you three hours. If you're good at puzzles, probably take you two hours. Uh, I got more than halfway. And then I kind of noped out and I'll tell you why. Um, And some of this is kind of particular to me. Uh, I feel like in contrast to Nine Witches, I feel like some of the puzzles really dragged in this. Like they were kind of, I'm not going to say they were like cat hair you know glue moon logic things but some of them just felt like there was too many steps involved and I felt like there was a little bit too much running back and forth in the house so it's a small game and there's limited locations and so they have you going back and forth which which makes sense but um, I just I just felt like there was a little bit too much of it I kind of wish the game had flowed a little bit more and I wish the puzzles were just a little bit more simple so they could really focus on what I feel like the game does best which is the story of the circus people and the clowns you know his thoughts his feelings Uh, So I didn't care for how complicated some of the puzzles got at the end. I mean, they're not the worst I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, but I did feel like they were speed bumps when I didn't want speed bumps and they were a little bit more involved than I would have liked Um, to kind of make it worse is like you get a lot of items and you can only carry so many. And so I was often like picking up something. I didn't know if I needed it. And I needed to make space for something else. So I would go back to like the main uh, room of the mansion and I would drop stuff off. Now, to its credit, you can drop things. Um, they'll stay where you leave them. And even better, you can look inside the clown's journal and he'll tell you where he left it. So if you forget, let's say you're, uh, you know, you're you're at a far end of the map or something. And you've got to pick something up that's more vital than what you've got. You can drop the non-vital thing. And in his journal, he'll say, oh, I left so-and-so at the far room. And so you can find it, which is great. But I kind of wish you just didn't have to put things down to begin with. I don't think there's a lot of value gained from running back and forth and trying to remember where you got the item that you left. I mean, like, who cares? Like, like encumbrance, limited um, options in terms of your inventory. I just I just don't think it brings that much value. And I didn't feel like it brought that much value here. There's also combat, which uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of either. There's a little bit of combat in Nine Witches, but I felt like it was pretty quick. You had a gun, you could shoot somebody. It was just, you know, it wasn't great combat, but you got through it really quickly and it wasn't a problem. But here, um, they don't really tutorialize it very well. And it took me a long time to even realize that there was combat. I thought that you were supposed to be running away from things all the time. Uh, But actually, you can do things. Uh, You find a knife and these rats that are like in the kitchen will bite you. And I got bitten by them a thousand times. And I eventually died and a little tooltip came up that said, oh, you can use a knife on the rats. And I'm like, oh, why didn't you say so? It does not seem intuitive that there would be real time combat in a point and click game. But there was. And once I knew it was there. okay, but I didn't know it was there. And it's not great. I mean, I kind of wish that it wasn't there. Um, I will say not to spoil anything, but there are supernatural foes that do appear at at a certain point. And I just didn't know how to deal with them. And they kill you really quickly. And I had to look up an FAQ. I'm not going to spoil what you do. But I feel like how those are handled isn't great. And I kind of wish that they were handled a little bit differently. I don't want to say more. Because I feel like I might be ruining something. But a lot of it has to do with the character's mental state. And how he deals with stress. And on the one hand, I think it's kind of neat. On the other hand, I didn't like it that much. So I guess it's neat, but it needs a tweak. Um, all that was... Was tolerable. I feel like I would have pushed through all of that. But the thing that really put the nail in the coffin for me is kind of twofold. Number one, there's not really a specific map. I mean, there's kind of a map, but it's not accurate enough to where it shows you where exits and stuff are. It's like, it's almost like a hand drawn map, as if the clown is drawing it himself in his journal, where he's like, a big circle, and this is house. And then a big circle next to that is like the garden. And then the big circle next to that is like the path. And it's like, okay, like, I see the general relationship between the areas, but honestly, I just want to know exactly the map. I just want to know exactly where I'm going. I want to see hallways and rooms. And this is a 2D game. There's no reason that they couldn't have a pixel-perfect map and just like highlight things. I want to see where the door that is locked is. I want to see where the wagon is that I need to get to in the woods. And so that was that was a bummer. I don't like games that don't have maps. But the thing that really killed it, that worked in conjunction with the lack of a map, was that you have a lantern. It is a kerosene lantern. And I didn't realize it ran out of fuel for a long time. Uh, So I was walking around, doing stuff, this is fine. And then the, the fuel ran out and it was dark. Now you still have a very, very tiny sphere of light around you. But there are many places in the game where it's basically pitch black. And it took me a while to figure out where the kerosene refill was. And then I was like, well, I just don't even want to refill this. It's a drag why do i have to keep going back and refilling this like i i just don't think that there's value in it and it was annoying to have to go back and constantly top up my kerosene not to mention that there's enemies around it not to mention that you can't just warp back there it's not like in a very central location and so it was just it was like really annoying and i was like i don't see what the point of this is i don't know if it's to uh build up tension or make you scared of getting getting stuck in the dark without enough kerosene or something But I did not care for it. And I just felt like it was a drag more than anything else. And I wish that they had not done that. So I hate to be so down on it. uh, Because I think it gets a lot right. And I think there's a lot to like about it. But just for me in particular. um, All those little bumps kind of got to me. And I just wasn't having as much fun as I was hoping I would. Um, So yeah kind of a down note. But I do think this game has a lot to offer. I think a lot of people out there would really enjoy it. Especially if you are still doing stuff for spooky season. And you want to look for something new to play. Uh, Indies Ruption definitely have some real talent. Um, and even though this one didn't land with me specifically, I still would call myself a fan and I'm definitely looking forward to what they're going to do next. So we shall see. That was Vlad Circus, Descend Into Madness. I played it on the Switch. I thought it was a fine fit for Switch. I think it's on, uh, other platforms as well. All right. Next up is another one from a developer that I've had my eye on and that I've been following. Salt Sea Chronicles. Uh, from developer, oh gosh, I apologize in advance. I don't know how to pronounce this. It's like Degut Fabrique. I think that's my best attempt. I'm sure I got that wrong. So if anybody knows the right pronunciation, please let me know. I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever. Uh, these are the very talented developers who put out Mutazione a couple of years ago, which I loved and was one of my top 10 of the year when it came out. Uh, wonderful, wonderful experience, Mutazione, and they won me over so hard that I was like, whatever they're doing next, I'm in. And this is what they're doing next. Seems to be kind of a theme on today's show. This is a very interesting 2D, I guess I want to call it hand-drawn, I suppose, as far as art goes, but it's really stylized. And in fact, what it looks like more than anything else is cut out construction paper shapes that are put together to look like people um the people i think are more abstract than the rest of the world but even the world is pretty abstract it's a really pleasing style though i like how simple it is and how the lines and the curves um kind of just come together to make the people um just one look at it and it looks like very little else out there i think it's got a very distinct style which I, i really appreciate so um kudos to that the premise of this game is that it takes place in what I have to assume is a post-apocalyptic world, but there's nothing nothing apocalyptic about it. It kind of just sets up the world where technology is frowned upon, as it was seen as something that brought the apocalypse, but they don't talk about it very much. Uh, lots of flooding, the big flood, which is something they reference, uh, and something that could very well happen in our own world as well. You know, We talk about the polar ice caps melting, global warming, uh, losing coastline and rising sea level is something that's a real thing. So I think that maybe uh, the developers are taking a, a cue from that and kind of just going a little bit further down the line with it. So it's not an epo- it's not it's not fallout. It's not apocalypse or anything, but they're just kind of setting up the world here where there's a lot of water. There's boats, islands, and people don't have a very favorable view of technology. In this world, uh, the story is set on a very small island. I have to imagine that it's probably um, modeled after something like in the, I don't know, the Norwegian area, something around there. We always struggle with this on the show, and I haven't really had anybody really correct me. But like, you know, like like that area where everybody is like cold and uh, they eat a lot of fish. Uh, I don't know, somewhere in that part of the world, like the Norwegian... I'm not even sure that's the right term, but, uh, where they have fjords, wherever they have fjords is where this feels like this game is set. And the island is like a really small island of, it's kind of, uh, insular and the people there are not very friendly to outsiders. And what happens is you are a member of a crew, although you are not really you. In fact, let me just take a step back for a second. At the very beginning of the game, they say this game is about the crew. You're not playing any one character. You're playing the entire crew. And so sometimes your perspective will shift depending on which character you're choosing for which chapter. Um, and so it kind of rotates back and forth. There's no just one character. But at the beginning of this game, uh, your captain vanishes. And that's not a spoiler. It happens like like two minutes into the game. It's like, it's like the thing that kicks off the rest of the game. So please don't feel like I've spoiled anything. It's not a spoiler. Uh, your captain vanishes, and the rest of the crew is distraught. They need to figure out what happened to her. And so what follows from that is... What each of the characters does to go after the captain and how they navigate that in relation to themselves within the crew and how they relate to the people of the island and whatever surroundings they're in. So, for example, um, the captain was partners with a lady who has a baby and now she feels abandoned and she's got a baby to take care of as a single parent. Uh, One of the crew members was an older woman and she's like, oh, it's all good. Like, I'm just going to roll with it. It's, It's not a big deal. We'll figure it out. Um, One person is a younger person who got a lot of guidance from the captain. And so they feel a little bit lost in terms of their purpose and the reassurance that they had that they were a value member of the crew. Um, Another person is a historian and they're just very curious about what's going on. They want to figure out the mystery. So they're kind of approaching it analytically. So everybody's got a different perspective and different personality. And those sometimes work together and sometimes they clash. Sometimes when you choose a dialogue, uh, it'll offend somebody else. Or sometimes it'll endear them to you. And you kind of have to figure out what you want to say. And in in who, in who what context, who's there? How is it going to be taken? That goes uh, even more so for the island. Because you have to think that not everybody was a fan of the captain. Not everybody is a fan of the crew. Um, some of the crew are outsiders. And so they're kind of viewed suspiciously. And, you know, how do you navigate that aspect as well? Now, I don't want to make it sound like this is a huge, like visual novel everything is reading everything is um choices I mean it kind of is but also kind of isn't so what I mean by that is there is a lot of reading this is definitely I mean it's definitely on the visual novel side of things um but you don't have tons and tons of choices like for example whenever you are faced with discussing something with somebody you usually only have two choices or at least two choices so far so you're kind of like choosing a branching path you don't have to parse through a million different choices. It's not like that kind of a game. So it does feel like you're a little bit limited in how you interact with people. And I will say also, I do find this particular aspect a little bit frustrating. Um, I feel like the presentation of this could be a little bit better. There are some... Uh, accessibility options in the menu but for example when uh, you go in the very first uh, section of the game when the captain's disappeared it's the historian goes after her and then you get to choose one more crewmate to go with you and I chose the radio operator who's a little bit insecure as we go into the town it'll be my two characters on the left the town's person on the right and then you have a dialogue and there's an outline on your characters to say who is talking at that time It's not super obvious. I wish they would have kind of like done it a little bit differently. Maybe had that be a little bit more animated or maybe um, put someone to the front rather than having them be side by side. The outline is okay. I increase the outline to make it more visible, but it still is not super great. And also sometimes when you're doing the dialogues, it's the context is just not enough. Uh, So for example, you'll have your two characters on the left talking to the person on the right. And in the middle is the dialogue choices. And let's say you're talking about, you know, something on the island and the choices will be like... Chicken and loneliness. Like, you only get like one word. And I don't know who is saying that and about what and to who. You just have to kind of blindly choose a word, which feels a little bit weird to me. Like, I feel like I would, would want to know which of my two characters is saying this, but you don't know before that. And it, I just, it feels like kind of a miss. I'm kind of confused by that. Um, so, you kind of just have to choose what you choose and whatever happens, happens. I've had a couple of instances where I'm like, oh, that's not what I thought that meant or whatever. Um, but it's not, it's not terrible. It just seems like a strange thing. And I'm not sure if it's intentional. I kind of feel like it's not intentional. Like, I don't feel like that's how they meant to go with this. So that's kind of hitting me in a weird way. And I don't know that I care for that very much. But I will say that the story is quite interesting. And I think that the interplay between the teammates is very interesting as well. Um, the first adventure on the island where you start off was pretty good. Uh, lots of talking. Lots of examining things. But it's all it's a lot but it's also pretty quickly paced like it's very rarely more than like a paragraph or even like just a couple sentences and so you can click through things as much as you want and in fact there's a lot of optional reading um i'm being very thorough because that's just the kind of person that i am but if you didn't care about like flavor text if you didn't care about um you know not missing little side quests or if you were just like i just want the main story and that's all they want you could buzz through this pretty quickly Because the um, the dialogues that are meant to move the story forward are marked like with a star. So you can see those. Uh, The flavor text is like a dot. And then there are other dialogues. I forget. There's like speech bubbles. You can kind of tell at a glance what's what. And I'm doing all of them. And if you do all of them, there is a pretty fair amount. But if you just don't care about those things or you just like you just want to like boom, 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 give the main points. You could hit the progress story, progress story, progress story pretty quickly and it would go a lot faster. So that's kind of on me. Uh, but just know that you have a choice between really soaking in what's in there, you know, learning about the birds of the island and learning about their cooking techniques and learning about their traditions. Or you can just be like, fuck that. Where's the captain? Let's go. Let's get on the boat and go. So you've got a choice there. Uh, but but either way you go, you're definitely going to have to do reading. Reading is the main interaction of the game. And I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be more than that. Um, going back to Mutazione for a second, one of the things I thought was so brilliant about that was it follows very much the same template. Love the paper cut characters, lots of talking, you're on an island. So I think there's definitely some similar themes here. But what was brilliant about Mutazione was there was a mini game where you had a garden. And so you would talk to folks for a while, um, hear their stories, learn about their troubles, you know, just kind of kick it with them for a little while. But as I got tired of it, like I would talk for a while and be like, OK, I don't want to talk anymore. I want to do something else. That's when you could bounce to the garden and you would play it, plant seeds and move plants around and you would try to like optimize your layout of the garden and I thought that was really brilliant because it wasn't super in-depth it wasn't like this huge thing but it did give you something to look forward to it gave you something to work on and it was a good break between the dialogue sections so in that sense I think it was really um well considered and a good balance between doing something and also just talking um now in Salt sea Chronicles, I don't know that we're going to do the same thing. I think that maybe there's a little bit of a, an issue here because the side activity that I've seen so far, and granted, I'm very early. This is like 1.5 chapters in. Um, the side activity seems to be a card game. And I'm like, no, because it's got these rules and I didn't think the UI was great. And I got to be honest, I didn't fully understand all the rules. And I'm like, I don't want this to be the activity. I want something just like lighter and more approachable, and something I can dip in and dip out of. And I'm sure if I learned the rules of the game, it would be okay, I guess. But I, oh, I kind of don't like when developers do this because I'm learning your main game. I don't need to learn a secondary game. And I'm not really a big fan of card games in general. Uh, boo hiss. Uh, okay, that's fine. Whatever. I'm just I'm just being honest with you guys. I'm just I'm not a big fan of card games in real life or in in video games. So to, I I'm hoping that this card game is not the The respite activity, because that's going to be a bummer. I skipped the first one because I just didn't want to deal with it. Kind of reminded me of Gwent a little bit, where I loved The Witcher 3, did basically every single side quest in the whole game, except for the Gwent stuff, because I just didn't care about Gwent, and I didn't want to bother with Gwent, and I didn't want to learn Gwent. And I had a very good time otherwise. And I feel like that's probably going to be true here, where I don't want to learn the card game, don't want to bother with the card game. I will probably have a pretty good time, but I wish there was something else besides the card game. Maybe there is. I don't know yet, but so far um i haven't found it if there is something there um so i will say it's kind of a slow burn i feel like the first section was pretty slow lots of reading it was pretty it took a while to get going and now that i've gotten to the ship and i'm out on the open ocean and we're getting in hot pursuit of the captain things are picking up but i definitely feel like this is going to be one of those you got to just like live on the vibe you got to be interested in the crew you've got to be interested in in the dilemmas that they face and i think that it will be um I'm just hoping it picks up just a little bit because it is kind of slow so far. But I do like where it's going. I like what I've seen so far, and I'm still in for sure. So this is just very early look at Salt Sea Chronicles. Um, I have faith, and I'm willing to extend that faith to these developers because I thought Mutazione was brilliant, and I have a feeling this is going to be brilliant too once I crack it a little bit. So that's it. That's my early first look at Salt Sea Chronicles. I will probably report back on this one later later. So far, um, tentative thumbs up, but you got to just be prepared for a lot of reading and a little bit of a slower pace. Um, All right. One more game in the script and then I'm going to bounce here. All right. Um, Final game of the show is Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. I know we talk about it all the time, but I'm playing it all the time. It's taking up a lot of my time and I need to get some content out of it. Plus, I really like it. So we're going to talk about it one more time. If you're sick of hearing me talk about it, I don't blame you. Uh, but honestly, I'm not sick of talking about it. I, I do think there's a lot to go into. And a lot of stuff that we haven't covered on the show already. So let me just dig into this for a minute. Uh, because gosh darn it, I'm like 60 hours into this game. And it's killing my productivity in terms of life and the show. And I need, I need to get some podcasting out of it. Otherwise, uh, what am I even doing here? Okay, so update. Um, I completed the phantom liberty dlc which is uh, also known as dog town it's a whole new region of uh cyberpunk that was not accessible prior to the dlc um just as some quick context uh this is the first person techno futuristic nihilistic rpg from cd project red the makers of witcher 3 um we've talked about it endlessly on the show i'm sure you know what this game is i'm sure you've heard us talk about it so i'm not going to get too far into the nuts and bolts but um so I, I started the game after Cyberpunk 2.0 dropped, and I'm glad that I waited uh, very, very much a virtually bug free experience. I've only had a couple very, very, very minor bugs um, and nothing that didn't get fixed by reloading a save. Uh, so I think I'm glad that I waited. I feel like I've definitely had the optimal experience, improved graphics, uh, improved tech tree, improved weapons, etc. cetera, et cetera. Lots of improvements all across the board. In in addition to the more stable performance. So I'm glad I waited. And it came with the Phantom Liberty DLC. Now this DLC. Really substantial. And sizable. You can't start it right away. When you begin a game. But you can start it pretty early. You've only got to complete like a couple of the main story quests. Before they give you the option. And I did. I, I jumped into that new area. Um, for a couple of reasons. Which I covered earlier. Number one. Um, it's a story reason that I, that I don't really want to talk about here, but there is a reason, at least to me, why I went to go do that. It made sense to me, um, and so I pursued that thread. And also, I knew that there was a skill tree that you unlocked by going there, and I wanted to see what the skill tree was before I got too far in the game so I could, you know, really enjoy using it if I liked it. So that was why I went in there. I will say, tons of content. I feel like a lot of the best quests that I've found so far in the game are in Dogtown. That's not to say... That the base game of cyberpunk is not good it is but there's definitely a difference um we kind of touched on this in the last episode but uh the developers getting cyberpunk to a place that was stable and really focusing on content rather than making it run um bug free really upped their game like i feel like the dialogue got better uh the the gigs that you do the, the side quests and the missions got better Uh, I feel like a lot of really cool moments, a lot of really cool things that are only possible when a developer is focused on creating, not like on life support, if you know what I mean. Um, You know, Cyberpunk was a famously disastrous launch. It was delisted from the PlayStation Store. They had to give refunds. It was the joke of the industry for a while, a running joke for a while. I mean, there's various reasons for this. I mean, maybe they bit off more than they could chew. They tried to launch it on too many platforms. I mean, trying to get it to run on PS4 and PS5 was just a very, very bad idea. It should never have been anything less than uh, the most current generation. They should have abandoned PS4 from the get-go. But all that aside, um, there's some really killer stuff in the Dogtown DLC. Um, I went through and I just had lots of like lots of quests, even even when I thought I was done with the quests, like more quests popped up. And I say that as a good thing because I'm very happy to get them and I'm very happy to go back and do it. Um, I've still got the main game. I haven't even finished the main game. I've got lots of stuff left to do in the main game, but I was just like really ringing Dogtown for all it was worth. And I was, every time I thought I was done, I would look at that section of the map kind of longingly and wish there was something that would pop up and then something would pop up and I'd be like, yes, I have a new reason to go back there. Okay, awesome. Let's go back and let's do something. Um some of the best moments of the game so far have definitely been in some of the cutscenes here. Uh we talked about the concert last episode and when I got to the end game of the main uh storyline in Dogtown, some really cool decisions. I there was a few moments where I was like I had to put the controller down, had to think about what I wanted to do, had to think about the character I was playing and what I'd seen and how it was going to play out and you know, there's multiple endings to basically every quest and and even more so here. Um, This is not a spoiler, but I heard some people say that depending on what you do in Dogtown can give the main game overall a brand new ending. So there's definitely some considerations to be made. You didn't want to rush through that. So multiple times I would put my controller down and be like, oh, Jesus, what am I doing? What am I doing? What's happening? What do I uh, I can't I can't decide what's happening. Uh." And that's great. I love having those moments because it means I really give a shit. You know, it's not like a game where I just click X and do whatever because I don't care. It's, I really did care. I really did want to see what was going to happen to these characters. I really did want to see how things were going to play out. And uh, full disclosure, honestly, going to be real honest with you, I did look at an FAQ a couple times because sometimes I was like so paralyzed with, um, with, with, with choice paralysis. I was like, I need some help. I need somebody to tell me how it's going to go out. I don't care that it's cheating. I, I need to know. And I'm glad that I did because there was definitely some huge ramifications uh, and I don't feel like it spoiled me in, in any way. I felt like it was, I'm glad that I looked because I would have felt kind of burned if I had made the wrong choice. Um, so that's great. I love the characters. I love how it wraps up. I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, I love just the people that I met and how it influenced the rest of the world. And I feel like it's really choice. Like, like if you played cyberpunk and you, you played it before the DLC or two point dropped and you're not sure if you should go back. I mean, dude, some of the best stuff, the best stuff is in this DLC. It's almost like it's almost like the Witcher DLC where some of the best stuff in The Witcher, uh, even though Witcher was a fantastic game, maybe even my favorite game of all time, uh, some of the best stuff was in that DLC. Like some killer moments, some killer scenes, some killer concepts, some killer events. Uh, you just didn't get the full Witcher experience unless you played those DLCs. And I kind of feel the same way about Dogtown and Phantom Liberty. Like if you didn't play Dogtown, I mean, you missed out. Like, like undoubtedly missed out. You need to go back and play that. It's really excellent stuff, um, and and to be frank, when I rolled credits on the storyline in the Dogtown DLC, it was so satisfying. Like I kind of felt like I could have just left it there. Like I kind of could have walked away from Cyberpunk and felt like I had a complete experience, which is really saying something. because I probably got like thirty or forty hours left in the main game, right? But I'm like, man, that kicked ass. That felt good. I like what happened. It was just amazing, and uh, that's not a feeling that I have very often so i just want to like give a shout out to the phantom liberty slash dogtown dlc that is the shit also cyberpunk is really great and i love it and uh i don't know that it's going to top witcher for me because witcher is just pretty fucking phenomenal but man cyberpunk is definitely up there and we are going to be talking about it at the end of the year Uh, i was having some discussions with some reviewer friends who were kind of on the fence about whether they should include it or not And I got to say, so not only did I not play it before, so it's a new experience for me this year. I do think when I'm reading up on the notes and talking to people, the 2.0 experience is a significantly different experience, not only in terms of bugs, but in the skill trees, some of the quest lines and how some things are handled in the game. Not night and day different, but it feels significantly different. And then you take into account the the Dogtown DLC, which is some of the, the game's best content and how it can actually alter the ending. I feel like for me... Um, this does qualify it's definitely going to be in the running for 2023 um, if people don't agree with that if they think it shouldn't be counted that's totally fine I, I respect all views uh, when it comes to this particular aspect of reviewing I mean some people draw a hard line some people don't but for me uh, I'm going to go on record as saying I count this as being in the running for 2023 it will come up in my discussions at the end of the year guaranteed um, and so that's where I stand on that um, only one other thing to mention is that I was kind of talking to Carlos offline, um, kind of texting back and forth with him while he's on assignment, and I have to say I'm a little bit worried about CD Projekt Red. Now I just gushed about them. I gushed about The Witcher. I gushed about Cyberpunk. I love them. CD Projekt Red definitely is a fantastic developer. I love what they're doing, but I'm a little bit concerned because they announced that the Phantom Liberty Dogtown DLC is the only DLC that's going to be coming for Witcher. They said, this is it. We're done working on this. This game is complete. Nothing else to look forward to. Play it now. Enjoy it. And then we're going to move on. Number one, that makes me sad. uh, Because I feel like there's a lot of things you could do in this game. You could have at least one or two more really substantial DLCs. And I would easily and happily come back to them. I feel like there's a large world that there's just, just waiting to be scratched. And... We, I feel like like even though I've already put like 40, 50 hours in this game, I feel like there's still more to do, more to go. There could be more to explore. So it makes me sad that there's not anything coming. But the reason I'm even more concerned about this, um, not only because I feel like they're leaving content on the table, is that I don't want to see them do a repeat of Cyberpunk's launch. So, you know, Witcher 3, they they worked on it for a long time, poured a lot of resources into it. They polished it for a long time Um, when it launched. As far as I'm remembering correctly, like it launched pretty okay. I think there was a few patches and stuff like that, but nothing like disastrous. It was a pretty well-received launch, if memory serves. Not the case with Cyberpunk 2077, which I just said was like the joke of the industry for like a long time. And I'm a little bit worried that now that we've seen them come to grips with their engine, come to grips with the content, with the masterful stuff we just got in the Dogtown DLC... I kind of wish they would just hang out here for a little while longer. Um, they don't have to worry about the engine anymore. They've got it under control. They don't have to worry about creating assets. They've got that under control. All they have to do is worry about crafting more interesting quests, more interesting adventures, more good dialogue, more good characters to interact with. And that's what they do best. I kind of want them to not go back to square one with Witcher 4. Uh, Because that's what they announced they're going to work on next. I want them just to hang out here and just really give us the good stuff. Kind of similar to how when you get to the end of a console generation, that's when the most proficient, the most accomplished games come out. Like anything from the end of the PS4 era is like the best stuff on PS4. Anything from the end of the PS3 era is the best stuff for PS3. Because developers have come to grips with the engine. They have all the tools. They know all the workarounds. They know all the shortcuts. They know all the bugs. And they're just focused on doing content rather than how to make something work, how to get the frame rate up, how to get these uh, textures to render properly or whatever. And I feel like they're leaving Cyberpunk too soon. Um, And so I'm a little bit concerned that they're going to put this away. They're going to go to Witcher 4 and we're going to have a repeat of, of Cyberpunk. Now, I'm sure that they all have been burned to a degree to which i can only imagine i mean i've experienced failure and embarrassment in my lifetime and there's definitely some things that i wish i could go back in time and fix and maybe i would make a different choice and undo or i wish i could like eternal sunshine myself and forget a few things and i'm sure that those things are like basically nothing to like how intense it must have been for the team at cd project red when cyberpunk blew up i mean it's got to be an order of magnitude anything worse than i've experienced in my life probably um but that said, and, and so I'm sure they're they're interested and they're very invested in not repeating that, right? But I just have to be a little bit concerned because they're going to be swinging for the fences with Witcher Four. You know they're going to be. There's going to be a lot of expectations. They're going to be they're going to be going hard, and I just I want them to really focus on what they do best, which is characters, content, writing, and not to do another one of these launches where it's just barely holding together, where they're going to try to hot fix it later, where they got to get it out the door because of investors or whatever. I'm just a little bit concerned. Um, Maybe I don't have any right to be concerned. Maybe I don't have any need to be concerned. But I am a little bit concerned that they're leaving Cyberpunk too soon. And I just don't want to see them mess it up at launch again. I'm sure they don't want to do it either. Um, I'm sure if anybody at CD Projekt Red is listening to this, I'm sure they're probably tearing their hair out and saying, Brad, you idiot. Of course, we're not going to do that again. And I hope that's true. Uh, It's just a concern. Uh, I don't have any facts. I don't have any inside information. I'm just just concerned. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, regardless, the Dogtown Phantom of Liberty DLC, amazing. If you haven't played it yet and you like Cyberpunk, you must play it. If you haven't played Cyberpunk yet, this is the perfect time to play it. Apparently the game is finished and it's got some fucking just killer, killer content in this game. I'm just, I'm, I'm in love with some of these quests and some of these storylines. It's so good. Okay, folks, that is it for this episode. Those are all the games I had time to cover this week. As I said, it bumped a couple. We'll talk about some of those next week, and we'll talk about some of those the week after. We have no shortage of stuff coming up. And also, to reiterate, as I said at the top of the show, if there's anything that you really, really, really want me or Carlos or both of us to cover on the show, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Blue Sky. Hit me up on, I guess, Instagram if you wish. Or hit us up at the email or anything like that. Um, we want to know. We want to know. No promises, but we'll do our best. Um, before we wrap everything completely up, I do have a couple things to talk about quickly. Uh, now that the game portion of our show is officially done. Just a couple non-games things to mention this week. We usually talk about TV and movies. That is going to be the case again. Uh, watched The Expendables. The very first one. Yesterday. I know it's a franchise. They're up to like number four. Uh, but we had never seen any of them. My wife is a big fan of like explosion action movies. So we uh, took the the gray afternoon opportunity and sat on the couch, got under some blankets, watched a movie. Expendables is the one that stars a lot of the, I guess, older action stars. It has Sylvester Stallone. And I think he was like 65 or 67 when he filmed this. It had Bruce Willis before he got really sick. It had Arnold Schwarzenegger in a cameo. Uh, it had Jason Statham, who's on the younger side. He's still in his prime. It had Stone Cold Steve Austin, a couple other people. I'm forgetting Terry Crews, whatever. But basically, it's the franchise that kind of gives older... Oh, Dolph Lundgren. uh, That gives older action stars a place to be now that they can't or maybe won't or, you know, not able to to helm their own movies. So we jumped into this the very first one. And I have to say it was kind of a mixed bag. On the one hand, it was neat to see some of these folks come back. Um, You know, a lot of memories, a lot of history. With some of these folks, um, and I think the action overall was quite good. Um, they're definitely showing their age a little bit, but they covered up pretty well. And things, you know, things blew up, and dudes got, uh, you know, fragged, and and explosions, and guns, and all that kind of stuff. So that was all. That was all satisfactory. There were some good fight scenes. Oh, Jet Lee was in this as well. Um, but uh, I think that this very first one was the script needed some help. It took itself very seriously. And I think most of the laughs we got out of this movie were kind of unintentional. Um, so that was a thing. i I heard some people tell me that the series lightens up and they lean into the funnier side of things later on, which I think would be a very smart move. Um, it's hard to take these guys seriously when they're so old. I think they would be well uh, they would be well informed and uh, would make be making a smart choice if they leaned into the funny and the ironic and the wink wink rather than trying to play as if they were still twenty and thirty. So hopefully we'll see how that pans out. We'll watch the next one in a little while. Expendables 2. Um, so it went kind of hard and kind of emo. And I just, it was kind of goofy. Like it just didn't work. Um, also, I was a little bit surprised to see some like casual racism in this movie. And it really kind of stuck out to me. Uh, for example, they go to this um, island. I guess it's supposed to be kind of like a Cuba parallel. And they're in this little motel or something. And this uh, one of the guys picks up... Uh, a cockroach out of a bowl of nuts and he's like, ah, there's like nuts in this. There's a there's a roach in this bowl or something. And I'm like, the only reason to show something like that is is to show like you're in this like assumed dirtiness of a third world country and you're showing that the proprietor of this organization doesn't care that they're gonna they're not gonna pick the cockroaches out of the nuts or something. I found that casual racism to be pretty distasteful. Uh, there's also definitely some like like over macho sexism going on. Definitely Um, a little bit of like torture porn. I mean, not like hardcore torture porn, but there were some scenes where I'm like violence against women that just didn't need to be there. And that stuff was pretty distasteful. It felt like very rooted in like backwards thinking, dead end testosterone kind of thinking. And I I hope that they steer away from that. Um, There's plenty of action that doesn't need to like come at the expense of anyone. Um, There's plenty of jokes to be had. There's plenty of ways to celebrate these old action stars in positive ways that showcase them for their skills and their history and for what they have that doesn't need to have this so like bro bro dumb dames and kill the brown people kind of like attitudes that we've left in the past so that stuff left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth um thankfully it wasn't too prevalent but it was noticeable and i really really hope that they ease back on that for the future uh sequels so we'll see i'll report back on that so overall um It was okay, like as an action movie went, but definitely some caveats and definitely some things I didn't care for. uh, And I hope that they kind of course correct in number two or number three or number four. So we'll see. The only other non-games thing I want to pimp this week is Quantum Leap is back. In fact, a lot of TV shows came back now that the writers... Well, I think one of the writer strikes is over there still, I forget which one is which. Um, but like some TV shows are coming back and I think some of these were filmed before the people went on strike. So um, definitely solidarity to everybody on strike. I'm not saying I'm not saying I need them to go back or anything. I definitely support them 100%. They need to strike as long as possible to get everything they want. This is like the fight of the century. So support for them in full. But I think these shows were done before the strike and they're just coming back now. So please don't think less of me for watching these shows. Um, But Quantum Leap came back and this is one of my favorites uh, for sure, a family favorite. Uh, This is the reboot or I guess restart of the TV show that was popular, like what, late 80s, early 90s or something? Starring Scott, Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell about a guy who travels in time by leaping from body to body of people at pivotal moments in history pretty well-known pretty well received sci-fi series they rebooted it but as a continuation so they they assume that all the events of the previous show happened and they pick it up from there and they move forward with a new star new cast i love the cast i think the cast is great um i'm really happy to see them come back for season two i'm really glad this show got renewed and I'm not going to spoil anything, but they throw the cast for a loop from the very beginning. Stuff happens that I wasn't expecting, and there's some definitely, definitely some new pressures, new stresses on the team, and uh, there's a new dynamic. So it's not just more of the same, which is good, and we are all in. So I don't, I want to give a shout out to uh, Quantum Leap. Definitely enjoying that show. Everybody should watch that show. I think it's great if you like your lighthearted sci-fi with a little bit of a historical intrigue and some good cast moments. It's definitely a thumbs up for me uh and folks that is a show that is a show before we close again we'd like to ask you to leave reviews if you can uh also share us on social media but most important of all recommend us to your friends and uh i've mentioned our email a couple times but i haven't given it i'll give it to you now uh give us your questions and your comments hit me up so video games podcast at gmail.com you can also hit me up individually uh i'm bond like i said earlier mostly blue sky Still on Twitter, still on Instagram. Uh, It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. And this is going to do it for episode 359. Thank you again for joining us here on the Soviet Games podcast. And I think Carlos will be back here next week. So we will see you next week.